welcome to the weekly sermon podcast at the Cowboy Church of Ellis County. Well, I don't know whether you guys have heard about it or not, but the coronavirus is going around. Some of you probably already caught that. Oh, wait. I'm talking about this other one. You probably don't have it yet. But this virus, it looks like maybe it's going to be a pandemic. It's, it's really looking more like that every day, which simply means that it's going to spread throughout the entire population. I pray that it doesn't, but it looks like that it will. It has already crashed financial markets around the world and set off uh, panic Cruise ships are being quarantined, unloaded at military bases. Uh, airline flights are the lowest that they've been since post 9-11. And uh, just this past week, Austin, even though there's no coronavirus there, yet, as far as we know, canceled their biggest event of the year, the South by Southwest Conference. And, and I can't even begin to wrap my mind around the financial impact of that. There's probably people in Austin that that is their, their living for the entire year is made at that one event. And, and so it's a, it's a huge financial impact. Uh, I'm not an expert on these kinds of things, but I actually did visit with someone who is a medical professional who has been trained. They are training people in our hospitals and whatnot to... Uh, cope with this whenever it arises and and what's really setting off the panic is the news that it is going to kill about two to three percent two to three percent mortality rate of those who get it however what she told me is that that most experts think that that number may be a little bit high right now because think of who it is that we are identifying with the coronavirus Primarily, we're identifying those who are the sickest. And because you are able to identify those who are the sickest, those are the ones who are also the most likely to die from the virus. Uh, But the reality is there are a significant number of people who have the virus that don't even actually know they got the virus. They either have no symptoms or else it feels like to them that they may have a cold or a touch of the flu, and they're doing like all of us do when we've got the cold or a touch of the flu. They're just kind of blowing their nose and going about their business. And so we we don't yet really comprehend what the actual mortality rate is going to be. It may very well prove to be a higher mortality rate than the seasonal flu typically is. But it's not going to kill 3% of everybody that, that, that gets it. Uh, why do I say this? Who do you think is most likely to die from the coronavirus? Okay, elderly people is one. People who are elderly are people who may be compromised in their immune system in some way. And, and frequently those things travel together, Right. And so if you've got someone who is maybe in their 70s and has COPD, they're, they're at quite a bit of risk uh, if they were to get the coronavirus. They're at quite a bit of risk if they were to get the flu. And so those who have suppressed immunity or, or other uh, issues with their health, their death rate may be 10%. However, if you're a whippersnapper that's in your 20s and you're perfectly healthy, the chance of the coronavirus killing you may be like one-tenth of one percent. 
And so this panic that has, has broken out is really overblown to a large degree. And I don't want to minimize what, what this disease is. But I will tell you that I think that a lot more people are going to be hurt by the panic, actually, than are going to be hurt by the actual disease. As I've said, I can't even imagine the, the financial impact that this has already had. And, and so that's where we are. Having said all of that, I know that people are afraid of this situation and there's panic going on about it. I expect it to hit us. I'm not sure that it may hit us as early as this Sunday, but I expect it to hit us attendance-wise before it's all said and done. But as much panic as there is around this pandemic or potential pandemic, I want to tell you something, guys. There is a pandemic that is going around that is a whole lot more dangerous to us than this coronavirus is. And it is a pandemic of a false gospel. There is a false gospel that is spreading across the globe right now, but particularly across the United States, that we ought to be very, very concerned about. I have been pastoring now for a little over 30 years. I have seen a lot of things come and go. I'm pretty aware of church history and the things that have happened in church history. And what I would say to you is that the false gospel that is spreading right now is the most virulent uh, thing that I have seen. It is so infectious and it is so widespread that I'm reasonably sure almost 100% of you have been exposed to it. You probably don't even know that you're being exposed. In fact, I would go even further and say some of you probably carrying the virus and you don't even know that you've got it. Some of you have been exposed to it. You've taken it in. You didn't even know that you were taking it in. And now you're going around and you're carrying it and you don't even know that you're carrying it. Now, without going in to the particulars of what this false gospel is at this point, I want you to understand that any false gospel is a fundamental threat to your faith. I want you to look at the book of Galatians this morning. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. And we're going to look at a passage here where Paul is, is addressing a false gospel that's going around in his day. Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. Paul says, I am shocked that you are turning so soon away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. And by the way, that, that word good news in this version is the gospel. You're following a different way that pretends to be the gospel, but is not the gospel at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of gospel than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other gospel rather than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. So there's a false gospel going around. And Paul is very, very concerned about it. In fact, he says, back up in verse 6, he says, those who are following this false gospel, actually what they are doing is turning away from God. That's pretty strong language. You're chasing this false gospel. It's turning you away from God. You're following a different gospel. And in verses 8 and 9, he actually calls God's curse down on anyone that would preach a different gospel 
than the one that he preached, than the one that had been entrusted to him through the Holy Spirit, the one that had been brought into the world by the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that was accepted by the church at Jerusalem and the church at Antioch and all the New Testament churches, the one that was the foundation. Paul said, if anybody comes along with a different gospel than's being preached right now, they ought to be cursed. And in fact, if you read in Galatians a little bit further, he goes on to say that anyone who follows this false gospel are cut off from God's grace. I want you to look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. He actually says this twice, but I'm just going to look at one. That's adequate. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. And this false gospel had to do with following the law. I'll address that in just a minute. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. He says, but those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, It is through faith that a righteous, that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of law, which, is, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. Right here, we pick up on the nature of what the false gospel was. Basically, the, the gospel that was being preached, or the false gospel that was being preached in Paul's day, went something like this. Yes, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. We believe He's the promised one in the Scripture sent by God. Yes, Jesus came to, to die for our sin, and, and He's sent right, he, he has been sent to set us right with God. They acknowledged all of that. But the other part of their gospel was, they said the reason that Jesus needed to come is because we have been living so far from God. We've been living outside of His purpose for us. That sounds good so far, doesn't it? Right? I mean, that sounds pretty, pretty much like the gospel that we're hearing today. But here's where it goes astray. They say, yeah, Jesus came and He died for us. He is God's Messiah. He came to set us right with God. We have been living away from God, but the reason Jesus came was to turn us back to God, to sort of give us a second chance to do what God wanted us to do in the beginning, which was what? Obey the law. We hadn't been obeying the law. God sent us a sacrifice for this sin, but we, we got to get back to the law. So if you're not circumcised like God said, you need to be circumcised. If you're not following the law like God says, you need to follow the law. This was the false gospel that was being preached in Paul's day. And under this gospel, it was the keeping of the law that saved you. Really, not Jesus. Jesus came to give you a second chance, but the bottom line was, if you didn't keep the law of Moses, you could not be saved. And Paul strongly, strongly stood against this. As a matter of fact, Paul knew it was a dead end. Because he himself had tried to keep the law. He tried to keep it sincerely and genuinely. And what he found is that nobody could keep it. And so if everybody's efforts through this false gospel became we're going to struggle hard to keep the law. He knew that it was going to be a burden. It wasn't going to set them free. It wasn't going to change their hearts and their attitude towards God. It wasn't going to cause them to, to live a life of love and service as God was calling them to do. It was going to become a burden where they're saying, man, this is so much that we have to do. And they were, they were going to believe 
that by making those sacrifices and living under a set of rules was going to set them right with God. And Paul knew that it was not going to do so, not the least of which because they couldn't do it to begin with. I would say to you that there are false gospels in every single generation. Some of them stay a little bit longer than others, but there's, this, there's always a, a massive false teaching that comes around every generation. Uh, when I was a young man, the one that was hot was the wealth and prosperity gospel. You've probably heard of, of that. Some people called it the word and faith movement. And it was the idea that, that Adam was not only created in the image of God, but that Adam was created exactly in the image of God. That is to say that, that he had, Adam, the ability through faith to access the exact same power that God had. That Adam could literally change reality and speak things into existence just as God could. There was creative power, in other words, in Adam's words, just as there were creative power in, in God's word. But whenever man sinned, now this is the false gospel I'm talking about, but whenever man sinned, he lost this ability. It was taken away from him. His, his access to this power was gone. But now through Jesus Christ, that power to, to um, speak things into being, to change things through our word and through our faith, all of that is restored through Jesus Christ. Once they're filled with the Spirit, they have the power of God again, and once more they can use their positive confession to speak things into existence. So, for example, under the word and faith movement, if someone has the coronavirus, you speak to that virus. You say, you vile virus that has been sent into this world by Satan, I'm casting you out. I'm claiming the healing that God has promised me. And, and through faith, I stand on it and I am healed. And by your positive confession under the Word and Faith movement, if you have enough faith, right? Has to have enough faith. Then you're going to be healed. Or... If you need a new house, or you need a new car, or you happen to need a $60 million jet aircraft, the same thing applies. You just cry out to the Lord. You say, Lord, I know that your word says that you have provided for me everything I need in Christ Jesus. And Lord, you know that I need this. And so I'm standing on your promises and I'm laying hold, I'm laying claim on this jet airplane that I need. And in Jesus' name, I will have it. And if you speak accordingly, according to this false gospel, this thing that you're praying for will be yours. And so for a period, it's still going on today, but not as much as it was. But man, I'm telling you, back in the 70s and 80s, it was, it was big time. And what you had is a lot of Christians trying to tap into that power of God so that they could access all of the resources, the fullness of what God had for them. And so you had people going from place to place looking for supernatural experiences so that they could really know that God's power had entered them. So that they could exercise this power to lay hold of whatever it was that they wanted or needed in their life. That's the reason it was often called the name it and claim it movement. Or if I, as I have also heard it called the blab it and grab it movement. And for a lot of years guys, 
it kept people from really laying hold of the purposes for which God called them in Christ Jesus. And it still continues to do so today. Last night I was coming home. I was driven, I was passed by this most amazing looking Cadillac I have seen in a long time. I mean, this was a nice car. It truly was. First class, top of the line Cadillac. It blew past me. And on the back license plate, honest engine, G-O-D-S-P-W-R, God's power. Do you think that they believe God for that Cadillac? Absolutely. Do you think that that was part of the focus of their faith? Absolutely. Do you think that they were missing the heart of what the gospel is? Absolutely. And so these false gospels, what they try to do is, is they, they try to have enough truth to draw you in, but enough error to keep you from discovering why it is that God laid hold of you in the beginning. And as I said, there's one of these in every generation. And the one that's out there right now is the most dangerous, fastest spreading one that I have seen easily in my lifetime, spreading faster even than the Word and Faith movement did. And, and I suspect that you would like to know what this new false gospel is, wouldn't you? I ain't telling you. And the reason I'm not telling you, at least not right now, is because what you would be tempted to do is you would be tempted to go on the Internet... Google knows everything, right? So you're going to get on Dr. Google and you're going to start clicking around on it and you're going to try to start figuring out what this gospel is that I'm speaking about. I could put a name on it. And you're going to look up everything about it. And if you're not really well grounded and you don't have a strong sense of your own personal theology, you may get confused. And what I will wind up doing is actually exposing you to the infection rather than helping you. I've seen this happen to people through the years on all kinds of things. They get confused about something. So, man, they start going to Google and they just read everything from all over the place. And, and one thing says this and one thing says that. They don't understand this or that. And by the end of it, they're so confused they don't know what to believe. And it kind of blows them up. I don't want to do that to you this morning. The reality is the best way to avoid a false gospel is to know the real gospel. You know, years ago, my dad, he was a salesperson, and, and he handled a lot of cash. In one particular year, he got a pretty good chunk of counterfeit money from someone. And he didn't discover it until he was counting his, counting his money at the end of the week, and he took it to a sheriff. And for some reason, I, I guess I worked with him a lot of summers. For some reason, I just remember going to the sheriff's office with him and dad showing him one of these bills. And the sheriff said, yeah, it's, it's not real. You know, and dad said, well, how can, you, how can you tell, you know, whether it's real or not? And so the sheriff pulled out a real $50 bill. And he just began to point to him all these various things that makes a $50 bill an authentic $50 bill. And then he took the false one and he showed him what the difference was. But guess what? There's an infinite number of ways to counterfeit money, right? There's an infinite number of ways to counterfeit almost anything. Take a Rolex watch. Rolex watch is one of the most counterfeited things on the face of the earth. They're worth a lot of money, and it's not very hard to, to make a watch that looks similar to that. You know, watches look a lot alike anyway. 
And, and there's an infinite number of ways to do that. And, and so if you're trying to avoid a counterfeit Rolex by studying fake Rolexes, you'll never study them all. I'm telling you, there's hundreds of them out there. You'll never see every false Rolex that there is. However, one thing that you can do, you can see a real Rolex. And you can figure out what they're supposed to look like, what marks are on them. I mean, you can just look at a real Rolex and, and come to understand what it's supposed to be. Then, if you know what a real one actually looks like when someone hands you a fake one you'll look at it very quickly and you'll say well no this is not this is not real and so the best way to avoid the counterfeit is just to understand the real and so what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to just give you a brief summary of the real gospel I want you to have that. There are several passages in Scripture that, that give us a real good summary of the gospel. And I'm going to take you to the one in the book of Titus, way back towards the back of your Bible. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. And while you're turning there, guys, I'm telling you, we're complacent. We are complacent. I think that most Christians absolutely believe that they have a grasp on the gospel, but if you just pin them right down and ask them to tell you what it is, most of them can't. And so if you're walking around with the assumption that you've got it, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but I'm just telling you, don't be complacent. It's important that you know, especially in the day in which we live. So you're with me in Titus chapter 2. And we're going to look at one of the places where I think the gospel is kind of summarized. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. It says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. He gave His life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us His very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. That is not only a summary of the gospel, that's a summary of Christianity. If you want to know what genuine Christian faith is, just look at this little paragraph that we've read together here this morning. Let's look at it verse by verse. First of all, verse 11, he says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. What in the world does that mean? For the grace of God has been revealed. How, how has it been revealed? Sure, Jesus Christ. The grace of God has been revealed through Jesus Christ. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Which brings up a question. Why should anyone perish to begin with? Why should anyone perish to begin with? Why did God need to reveal His grace to all people? Well, it is because we as people are fundamentally in danger. We teach in Saddle Up once a month. If you've gone through Saddle Up, you've already heard much of what I'm about to say. But every time we teach Saddle Up, we, we try to focus on the, the heart of the gospel. 
In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, you don't need to turn there, I have it, and you'll recognize it. Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death. So why did the grace of God need to be revealed? Well, because we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin is death, which means that we are under God's wrath and under God's judgment, each and every human being is, and are in danger of being judged by Him apart from the salvation that was revealed in Jesus Christ. Every human being is sinful. Every human being does things that are outside the will of God. That's why children are born out of wedlock. That's why people die in the drug trade every day. That's why there are young women today who are trapped in the, in the sex trade or they are being pimped out and there's not anything that they can do about it. That's why there is rudeness and lack of respect and people flipping each other off and cutting each other off on the freeway. That's why there's sexual abuse and molestation in our homes. All of these things are a result of the fact that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And brothers and sisters, God's not going to leave it that way forever. He's not. And so the wages of sin will be death. And all who sin and everything that causes people to fall will be ripped out of the kingdom and excluded from it. But those who have received the grace that is offered in Jesus Christ will be taken into the kingdom. And so the very first and most important part of the gospel to understand is that we are all sinners. And that's why in Saddle Up we teach that you must accept that you're a sinner. That's the first part of the gospel. And the second part of the gospel is you must believe that Jesus Christ came to offer you salvation. That he died a sacrificial death for your sins on the cross. I want you to uh, hold your place in Titus, please. And then go all the way back in the Old Testament to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. And I'm just going to go ahead and read all six of these verses. Isaiah chapter 53, beginning verse 1. This passage points forward to the death of Jesus Christ for our sins. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed His powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest griefs. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet, it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. 
The gospel, brothers and sisters, says, A, we must accept that we're sinners. B, we must believe that Jesus Christ died a sacrificial death on the cross. He absorbed God's wrath and God's judgment for us so that we do not have to. So it is vital to us that we have that acceptance and that belief in the Lord. But here's the question. Why did Christ die for us? I want you to go back to Titus chapter 2. What's God's purpose in all of this? What's His purpose in sending Jesus? Everlasting life, absolutely. But yet there's something a little bit closer to home here. Titus chapter 2, beginning of verse 11. I'm just going to start from the beginning where it will roll a little bit smoother. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God is being revealed, bringing salvation to all people. That's what we've just summarized. That's what we've just talked about. Verse 12, And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. Let me just stop right there. I've got to be honest with you. I have not found a single Bible version, not a one, that does verse 12 justice. And so I want to actually uh, read this to you from the Greek directly. And it's going to sound like Yoda talking, okay? Because the Greek word order is different. But I want you to hear how this is worded because it's, it's different and the difference is important. Verse 12 is what I'm talking about. Has appeared for the grace of God bringing salvation for all men. Instructing us that having denied ungodliness and worldly passions, discreetly, righteously, and piously we should live. Doesn't that sound like Yoda? That's how he would say it. Discreetly, righteously, and piously we should live. Having denied ungodliness and worldly passions. That having denied is left out of almost every version. And even the ones that use the word don't really put it into context. There's an implication here. That we have accepted the grace of Christ, right? And then he's going on and saying, having denied, having, accept Christ, having accepted Christ... We are also, we, we've denied something. What have we denied? What have we denounced? What have we renounced? We have renounced here and denied ungodly and unrighteous living. What this passage is doing is it is pointing to repentance. Before we understood that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, we lived godless, and that word simply means irreligious lives. We lived irreligious lives directed by our worldly desires. That's worldly passions. We had no room for God. We had our own agenda. We had our own plan. We had our own things that we were, were going to do and wanted to do. That's how we fell into sin. But once we confessed Christ... Once the grace of God was revealed to us, you know what we had to do? We had to admit we were on the wrong path. We had to say, Lord, the way that we were living without room for you in our life, just chasing our own desires, that's what got us in the ditch. We renounced that. We put that away from us. And from this point forward, we're going to live discreetly, righteously, and piously. 
Or as it says in the NLT, with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. So what does it mean to live with wisdom? To live a wise life is simply to live soberly and moderately. To live sane, balanced lives. If you are a Christian and you have turned to Christ, brothers and sisters, you ought to be through with get-rich-quick schemes. You ought to be through with things like foolish addictions. If we have turned to Christ, we may still drink, but we don't get drunk. We may still eat, but we don't eat until we are unhealthy or until we are sick. In other words, we are living a balanced life. We are flying level. That's a life of wisdom. It's a life of moderation. That's the life we're called to. We're also called to live righteously. What does it mean to live righteously? Simply means to do, to the best of our ability, the right thing in the eyes of God, in the eyes of man, in every single circumstance. We don't want to treat someone unfairly. Um, we don't want to do anything that disadvantages anyone. And so we're not going to take advantage of anyone, but we're going to try to do the right thing in every circumstance. So if you go through Home Depot and they happen to miss a $300 item that you have on your little buggy, and you get to the house and you discover you got that $300 item on your little buggy, what does living righteously mean? It means you go back and pay for it. And it'll blow their mind. They don't even have a way in their computer to do that. That's what we figured out. But yes, that's what you do. He also says that we should live our lives in devotion to God or piously. What does it mean to live lives of devotion to God? It means to live prayerfully and devoted to God. Be, being aware of Him in His presence Desiring to glorify Him and honor Him in everything that we do, whether it is easy or whether it is hard. In Daniel chapter 6, and we're not going to go there, but you're welcome to do homework. There's the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel was a man who was devoted to God. But there were a lot of people around him who weren't. And they noticed how devoted to God he was, and, and they actually didn't like him. They didn't like what he represented. And so they, they were able to have a law passed that said that if you prayed to anybody other than the king, you could be thrown into a lion's den. And you know what Daniel did under them circumstances? Well, before the law was passed, every day he would open his window, and he would get down on his knees, and he would pray to God three times a day. And after they passed the law, every day he went and he opened his windows and he got down on his knees and he prayed to God three times a day. He was devoted to God. And so what this passage is telling us, it's pointing to the fact that when we come to Christ, a part of coming is that we turn away from the old way of living. And now we're going to live sober, sane, moderate lives, always trying to do the right thing in the eyes of God and being completely devoted to Him in every single circumstance, wanting to glorify Him. That is what we are called to, and that is the proper response to Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. To put it another way, the reason that Jesus Christ died for us, brothers and sisters, is so that we might live for Him. 
It's just that simple. Jesus Christ died for us so that we might live for Him. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul said, I used to live for me. But once I came to understand what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me, now I live for Him. Absolutely, totally, and completely. Guys, that's what the gospel is calling us to do. And lastly, I want you to look at verse 13. I think I've already read it, but let's review it. We're living to glorify God, verse 13, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. One of the important parts of the gospel that we don't talk about a whole lot is the fact that a Christian person, a person who embraces the gospel, should always be expecting Jesus Christ to return. We believe that Jesus Christ is coming back to this world someday. And He's not coming back as a Savior. He is coming back as a Lord. He's coming back. He came back the first time to offer us a a chance to repent and a chance to turn to God. But when He comes again, He's going to be coming to root out of God's kingdom everything that is against God, everything that is sinful. He's going to put everything under God's feet. And the reason for all of this, guys, the reason God has done all of this for us in Christ Jesus is not so we could remain in our sins. Look at that final verse that we're looking at. Verse 14. He gave us, He, Jesus, gave His life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us His very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. There are an awful lot of people that seem to have the idea That accepting Christ just means that you're forgiven, but you just go out there and do whatever you want to, and you don't have to pay any attention to God. You can be just as irreligious, just as unrighteous, just as unwise as you ever were, and it's all perfectly good with God because you said a little prayer, and you said you accept Jesus as your Savior. Brothers and sisters, I'm just telling you, you're going to be surprised, and not in a good way. Because the gospel implies that there is a repentance, that there is a turning to God, that there is a desire to love God and glorify Him. And Jesus Christ came so that we could be cleansed, transformed, and made useful to the Master for every good deed. Guys, that is the gospel. That's the genuine, real, authentic stuff. And if that's not what you're hearing when you turn on the TV... If that's not what you're hearing primarily when you turn on the radio, I know there's other things we can teach from the Bible, but I'm just telling you, if that's not at the core of what you're hearing from what you're exposing yourself to, I'm telling you, you're getting something counterfeit. And if you don't think you can't be infected, you're wrong, because you absolutely can. And I warn you of that this morning, because I know what's coming. And I know that there is a pandemic already going on all around us. And you better be ready whenever it comes. Or you're not even going to recognize it. And you're going to be infected and sucked into it. And you'll never even know that you're missing the true gospel. Know the gospel. Hold on to the gospel. Measure everything that you hear according to that. And the Lord will keep you safe in His grace in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in Jesus' name and we praise you and we thank you, Heavenly Father. Because truly you have spoken so clearly to us in your word. And my goodness, how we, we get all of this tangled up stuff that people grab hold of and run with is absolutely beyond me. But it happens in every generation. And so, Father, I pray for this church. I pray for this congregation. I pray for these people. That they will just uh, remind themselves of the core truths of the gospel. Often, even if it's just as simple as the ABCs of the gospel, that they will just be reminded that Jesus Christ coming and His death on the cross and His resurrection into heaven and His coming again, that is Christianity. Nothing else but. Father God, drive these truths deep deep into their hearts enable them to stand on it enable them to grasp it enable them to measure everything else against it for we lift it to you this morning in jesus name and for his sake amen for this sermon and many more check out our website at www.cowboyfaith.org